Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys? You good? Awesome. Um, so I want to follow up last week on, on what we started talking about. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and catch that on the podcast or on the live stream. But it was in Hebrews um, chapter 4. In verse 14, um, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so, God, I just thank you for your word. I'm so thankful that we have a written record of, of you speaking to your people. God, that, that as, we, as we come to know you and we hear your voice, God, that, that we have something we can take it to and we can hold it up against. We have a standard, God, of, of what it sounds like to hear you speak and, and, and your heart and what you say. And so I thank you that it's alive, God, that, that we never just read something and we fully comprehend it the first time we read it and that it means that forever, God. But, but as we come to know you, the way we see uh, the truth of your word just gets multiplied and layer gets added upon layer. So I thank you for another layer of truth today, God. I thank you that it comes straight from your heart, Father, that it would go into our hearts and, and that the seed of your word, God, would produce the fruit that it produces. That a world that doesn't know you, Father, would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, we say, I say that a lot when I pray, but it's the truth. That's how a world that doesn't know him tastes and sees that he is good is by the fruit of your life. It's the Spirit of God producing fruit inside of you. And people come into contact with you, and they get to eat from the fruit of your tree. And, and, and they either make a sour face, right? Because if it's a bad tree, it produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. So when people come into contact with you, they should taste good fruit. Now, they, they may not always be happy in the moment, because how many of you know that it says that, that if you love your enemies, that it's like heaping coals on their head? In other words, it doesn't always, like when you respond in genuine love when people are angry, that doesn't always make them happy in the moment. In fact, sometimes it makes them even more angry because they want you to respond the way that they're treating you. And when you respond to them with love in the face of hatred, when you respond with, with kindness in the face of, of hate or in the face of anger, you actually could be making them feel worse, but not because you're trying to. It's because the response of love is not feeding that thing that's in them, and so they become even more angry. But the truth is that the fruit of, of what they've tasted of your life will speak long after that situation's over. And so if, if that fruit contains a seed that will try to reproduce itself, what am I giving people when they come into contact with me? What is the fruit of my life? Because Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know who people are by the fruit of their life. He said, if a tree is good, it produces good fruit. If a tree is bad, it can't produce good fruit. And we're, sometimes we get worried a lot about the fruit, but the truth of the matter is Jesus is worried about the tree. He's worried about you. Because if he could change you, then he'll change the response of your life. He'll change the fruit of your life. And so, so saying that, say, we, we talked last week about, about how Jesus is our high priest. He was tempted in every way common. And so we can run to him, to his throne of grace in our time of need, 
to find mercy and grace to aid us in, or help us in our time of need. And so when we first get born again, we hear this truth, and it means one thing to us sometimes. The first layer of truth, maybe, to that verse is that I, I understand my need for a Savior. I understand that I need to be forgiven. And I hear this verse, and it just feels so good to know that Jesus understands where I am, that Jesus understands how I could have made the mistakes that I made because he was tempted in every way common to man. He's not unsympathetic. He's not in heaven condescendingly looking down going, I can't believe you did that. How could you ever do that? No, he understands. He can identify. He he knows why you did what you did because he understands what it's like to be tempted. Yet he was without sin. So he also, there's another layer of truth that, that says that if he was able to, as a man, be tempted, he had to be tempted as a man. Remember, because God cannot tempt, nor can he be tempted with sin. That's in your Bible. Make sure that everything that you believe reconciles one verse to another. If you have a belief system that would make this word a lie, there's something wrong with the belief system you hold here. You have to find a way to reconcile the two. So he was fully God, yet he lived as a man, in which case he was actually able to be tempted in every way that we're able to be tempted, yet without sin, meaning what? He understands that not only does he identify with the temptation, but he also knows the grace that's available for us to walk in so that we can withstand temptation and not sin. Your Bible tells you that. It says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can stand, but with every temptation will provide a means of escape that you may withstand the temptation and escape from under it. In other words, every single time you've ever been tempted, there's also been a way that you could walk where you would face the temptation, turn from it, and walk without sinning. Every single time he provides a way of escape. And so... So that first layer is kind of this thing of like, man, I come to Jesus and I understand that he identifies with me. And it feels so good to know that I have a savior who's on the throne, who paid the price for my sins and my sins have been forgiven because he was the spotless lamb. But, but then I start to see that it says that I can find grace in my time of need to help in my time of need. And we, we looked at that word help and it's a, it's a word that actually means aid and it's a specific type. We talked about this last week, remember? It's a specific type of aid. It actually means the way that they would frap a ship. It refers to frapping, which means they would take ropes or chains and they would, when they got into a storm, when the ship would start to creak and would start to be threatened to pull apart, the beams would start to come apart, they would see the place that the ship was under the most stress, where it had the most possibility of being ripped apart, and they would actually reinforce that area with ropes or with chains so that it was actually strengthened and could withstand the storm. They didn't turn around and go back home and say, well, I guess the ship's not good enough. You've never come to something in your life that God's called you to where he intends for you to come to it. It'd be too hard to face and you turn around and return to shore. Now, if he's called you to go somewhere, then you're capable of getting there, but it may be impossible under your own strength. In fact, I would would venture this. If it's what God's called you to, it is absolutely 100% impossible on your own. If the life that you're living is completely possible apart from God and apart from the Spirit of God and grace empowering you, it's not the life He's called you to live. I promise you that. Because it says that every verse in the Bible is also necessary. So when Jesus said what is impossible with men is possible with God, he's letting us know there's going to be things that are impossible for you, but they're only possible with God. And so the life that you're called to live should be impossible for you to live out. And if you study your Bible and you're honest with yourself, you'll find that that's so true, even just for daily living. Like, I'm not talking about like the huge things, like God called me to preach on top of Mount Everest. 
Not really, because sometimes we, we hear these verses and we assign them to these big once-in-a-lifetime things or, or these once-in-a-year things, you know, and it's like, oh, there's this huge thing that I know God's called me to. It's way off in the distance, and that's impossible, but thank goodness for grace. And meanwhile, I live my daily life in my own strength, but when I get to that point, then I know that I'll need him because that's impossible. That's not what he's talking about. It's the daily life that we're called to live of daily denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus that is completely impossible apart from the grace of God. And so, so Paul was saying when he wrote this, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and so when, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, he said, you can come to God and receive mercy, which actually is compassion in the original language, so love, compassion, and grace to aid us in our time of need. In other words, there's something about the grace of God that isn't just the forgiveness of my sins, it's also the empowerment to live apart from the things that I used to live in. So, so Jesus is not just Savior. See, if we're not careful, grace will only become the forgiveness of sins and the rescue when I fall into something. So we live that way sometimes, right? Like, like God, God ransomed me for my sins, and thank goodness for grace. And if I sin, there's grace. You ever, you ever heard yourself that come out of your own mouth? Like, well, you know, yeah, but there's grace. Thank goodness for grace, stuff like that. Listen, that's not what grace is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this get-out-of-jail-free card that you tuck into your back pocket when you become born again. And if you sin, you pull that thing out and say, well, good, good thing for grace. No, it, there is grace every time that you stumble, but there's a higher truth that says grace wants to empower you to walk in a way that you're not constantly needing to be rescued, that you're actually rescued and placed somewhere, and then grace keeps you there. And we talked about that in the end of Jude. He says this, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him, Jesus Christ, be all glory. He'll rescue you every time you need rescue, but man, he would way rather than just be Savior, he'd way rather be your Lord. And his Lordship is different than his Saviorship. That's why Peter's preaching. He differentiates between the two. Remember on the day of Pentecost? He says, now you see this Christ, whom you crucified, is both Savior and Lord. He's your Savior because he died on a cross and he paid the price for your sins and he shed his blood and he took the punishment that you and I deserve. That's him being our Savior. But he's our Lord because he resurrected and was raised from the dead and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father and forever lives to make intercession on our behalf and is able to keep us from stumbling. So you stumbled and he picked you up. That was his salvation, and he placed you into his kingdom, and he filled you with his spirit, and he called you to follow him. That's his lordship. And the two are totally separate matters. He's Savior and Lord. And so, so this la- second layer of truth was kind of this thing of like, you know, I was talking about when you're tempted, it says that when we're tempted, we can, in our weakness, we can go to him, and we can find mercy and grace for helping us in our time of need. It's that idea of being wrapped up in an area of weakness. You understand that like suddenly when there's a chain around that area, it went from an area of weakness to an area of the greatest strength. 
Isn't that amazing that he's able to take your area of weakness and actually make it a strength when you come to him and receive grace in that area? Why? Because suddenly now you have a heart that can identify with where people are, but you have an answer for where people can actually be. That's why when people say, when, when, when people have a problem with drugs, I, I, I was miraculously rescued by God out of a life of drugs by simply turning my life to him and surrendering my life to him. And so when people are dealing with drug issues, often they'll say, man, you should talk to Roy. And that's a double-edged sword because I understand where they are and why they're there, but I also understand the grace and the power of God that's available if they actually want to surrender their life and follow his lordship. Why? Because an area that was a weakness of mine actually became an area of great strength because I understand what it's like to be rescued, but I also know what it's like to stay free. There's a difference in just getting rescued and actually walking in freedom. And he'll rescue, listen, don't, don't hear me, he will rescue you every time. But it's not his desire to constantly have to come and pick you up. It's actually to keep you where he places you. That's what his lordship is about. It's yielding my life and surrendering to him so that he's able to keep me from stumbling. And if I stumble, he'll pick me up. But every time he picks me up, he puts me back on the path and he walks with me with the anticipation that he would actually keep me from stumbling again. And that if I would actually yield my life and surrender my life to him and allow grace to come, it would change me to the point where I actually live the way he's called me to live. Then there's this, and and so I was thinking like that's maybe the second layer of truth to that. And I I started, I was really thinking about this last week and, and even while I was preaching, it started to bubble up in me. But I thought, what if, there's a, what if there's like a third layer to this thing? So the first is kind of I come to him with my sin. He forgives me, and I'm thankful for that, and I understand that he knows what it's like, and he doesn't condescend to me. He actually loves me. And then there's this place of like, man, I feel like I'm weak, or I feel like I'm vulnerable in this area, or I'm being tempted in this area. I can actually go to him at that time. And, and, and we talked about what that looks like, right? It's going to him in that time of weakness and just saying, God, everything in me right now feels this way. I know that's not your will, you're not, not your desire for me, Father, but I'm just being honest and I'm confessing to you. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's drawing my attention. This is what's pulling at my heart. This is what's trying to be the thing that changes the way that I think or that controls my eye, changes the way that I see. God, I, that's, right now, that's where I am. And I know that's not your will for me, Father. I know that you called me to live my life, not for myself. But God, I, I just this is where I'm at. And suddenly this grace comes. Why? Because you've turned your attention from the thing that you were being drawn to or from the thing that was trying to attract you, whatever that might be. It could be something that's trying to make you fearful and live your life fearfully. It could be a report that you received from a doctor. It could be a, a relationship problem. It could be the words or the, or, or the harsh statements made to you by someone that's, that's trying to change your heart and get you to respond in a way that's not Christ-like. And whatever, it could be something you're being tempted to look at. It could be something you're tempted to say to somebody. It could be an action you're being tempted to do. Whatever it is, the minute you turn your attention to him and you actually go to his throne of grace, you've started the process of submitting to God, which is resisting the devil, and he has to flee. Amen. See, you submit to God, which is, and resist the devil, and he'll flee. You can't resist the devil on your own. You resist him by submitting to the one you're called to submit to, because you can only serve one master. Listen, that's both a blessing and a curse depending which side of that you're living on. The fact that you can only serve one master means when you turn your attention to him and you yield yourself to him, you can't yield yourself to anything else. So now you're resisting anything that's not him 
And he actually has to flee. Why? Because you've gone into the presence of God and he can't stand to be in the presence of God. He flees when you walk into that presence. Why? He can't stand to be there. He, he's not allowed to be there. He has no right to be there. and He hates it. Let me tell you a, another truth about that. If every time he came to you and tried to tempt you in that same way, you actually turned it into fellowship and communion with God, eventually he'd realize this isn't working. See, he comes to you and he, he has a, a door that he's used to walking in. He's got a window that he usually has a crack in and he knows his way in. But all of a sudden, he tries to come in and the second you see him, your attention, rather than going over to him, it, so he comes and it's like, hey, you know, this person was saying this about you and you know that's wrong. And you know what you should do? You should probably let everybody know how bad they are. Because they're saying things about you that aren't true. You should probably let everybody know who they really... And all of a sudden, you're, you're following that voice, and the next thing you know, you're drawn into slander and gossip or whatever it is that would normally have been something that would lure you away. But if he comes and he starts trying to whisper through that window and say, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? And all of a sudden, rather than following that voice, you actually turn to God and you say, God, you know, right now, I'm so tempted to let what they said have a place in my heart and to respond to what they've said rather than your truth. But God, I don't want to live that way anymore because I know that you've called me to a higher standard. And Father, would you just come and, and, and help me, God? Would you change my heart, Father, so that my heart would see that person as hurting and lost, and my only response would be to love them the way that you've loved me, God? And all of a sudden, every time you do that, he pushes you into communion with the Father, and you become more like Jesus. Eventually, he figures out that's not working anymore. He'll try to find another way, but it'll be a long, all of a sudden, you'll think back and think, man, it's been a long time since I even thought about that. And it's not because you white-knuckled it and tried not to think about it. It's because you actually allowed that to be something that pushed you in, and what used to be an area of weakness has now become an area of strength because grace has come and bound you up like a rope around beams of a ship and actually made something that once was weak and threatened to tear you apart become a place of your greatest strength. And now you could stand there and say, in that area of my life, the devil has no place in me. But... But what if the, the, the third part, and, and this is what I want to get to today, is, is as we grow and we mature, we, we realize that we were called to live like he lived. So not just to have him be the person that we confess sin to, and not just be the person that when we are tempted and want to go back to our old way of living, we run to him. But what if we actually got this mindset in us that said, I'm alive every single day for this reason, and that's to shine and represent the kingdom of God. And it is impossible for me to do that on my own. So what if rather than going out into the day and waiting until you come to this place like we talked about of temptation or vulnerability or where you feel like you're being threatened to be torn apart, we actually started our day from a place of getting before him and realizing now is my time of need. Not down the road when, when, when the temptation comes or when I walk into that situation or when that person comes and acts the way that they act. God, I need you right now because I'm going to go out into the world and there's going to be a lot of people that don't know you, that are hurt, that are lost, that are responding to anything but your love. And you've called me to live differently. See, you were never meant to just be rescued out of one kingdom. You were meant to be placed into another. 
Open your Bibles. I want to make it official. I'll prove it with Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, in verse 9, it says this. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You understand that you can know his will. Otherwise, that's a fruitless prayer for Paul to pray. The will of God is not this mysterious thing that you'll never figure out until you get to heaven. No, the will of God is something that he actually desires for you to know for your life so that you can walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I'll prove it. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you realize that knowing the will of God for your life is the only way that you can walk in a manner worthy of him? It's not only possible, it's actually essential. We've made the will of God this mysterious thing. Well, who can know the will of the Lord? You. Me. We can. Why? Because the Spirit of God is within us, and he searches out the deep things of God. And Jesus said he'll take everything that is mine and make it known unto you. But not only can you, it's actually essential that you know his will for your life. We've not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul says, from the time that I heard that you were born again, I haven't stopped praying for you, and this is what I've been praying for that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why? Because when I see his heart for me, I actually can walk the way he's called me to walk. Because when I see his heart for me, I see his heart for other people. When I see the way that he loves me, I see the way he's called me to love others. Now I actually can walk that way. To please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he rescued you from one place and he placed you in another. He didn't rescue you, put you back where you were and say, okay, go live better, go try harder. No, he took you from where you were and brought you to where you were always supposed to be. And now he wants to be the one who actually keeps you in that place rather than having to come and fish you out every single day and place you back where he called you. You guys ever, ever had a, um, a puppy? And you train a puppy and, and you, you're walking on the leash, and the puppy wants to go its own way, and you just keep tugging it and pulling it back to where you want him to be. And every time you pull him back, it's as if he totally forgot, and he wanders off again, and you pull him back again. And then he wanders off again, and you pull him. And it's this repeated cycle of this is where you're supposed to be. That's where you want to be. And, and, and the goal is by rewarding him to get him to actually be where you want him to be so that where you want him to be is where he wants to be. So you teach him this command called heal, which means come and walk right next to me and follow me. And every time he does it, you tell him, good job. Good boy. Good heal. We have little Cooper. He is the cutest dog in the world. And we're teaching him this right now. Can I tell you that, that, that Jesus, walking with Jesus is something like this in that you get born again and you start walking after Jesus and then suddenly something catches your eye. We'll be walking down the sidewalk. He'll be doing great and all of a sudden a leaf will blow across the sidewalk. And that leaf is the most important thing in the world in that moment to Cooper. And he takes off after it because he's drawn to it. And I tell him, no, Cooper, heal. 
And he comes back and he walks next to me until another leaf blows across, until a beetle scoots across the sidewalk, until a kid comes outside with a ball and throws it, until a squirrel goes. Everything catches his eye and distracts him because right now in his heart, all he wants to do is what makes him happy. But he's also learning the reward of doing what I've called him to do. And that's starting to become more the voice that he listens to. And suddenly, we can be walking, and I've noticed this just lately. We can be walking, and I've told him to heal, and he's walking next to me, and something go blowing across the sidewalk, and he just actually looks up at me. He does. Almost like, is it okay? Can I go get it? There may be something still that is trying to attract him there, but he's actually learned the voice of the master. And he's learned that in life, things go better when he just fought. And it's actually becoming his joy to follow me. Because whenever he does, and I stop and pet him, he's just so stoked. He's like, <laughs> and his, ta- he, his whole butt wags. He doesn't just wag his tail. Following Jesus is a lot like that. It, he just says, listen, he said, come and follow me. Why? Because where I'm going is the best way for you to go. You know that, like, I have that dog's best intentions in mind when we're walking. I don't want him to walk on the blacktop because it's hot, so I walk through the grass. It's not to be mean and to be cruel. It's because I know something that he doesn't. I understand a concept that he doesn't. That is, grass is cooler than the blacktop, and if he walks on the blacktop, he could burn the pads of his feet. It's not because I hate him. It's not because I don't love him. It's because I actually want the best for him, that I want him to follow me because I know more than he does, and I'm walking with him in mind. And so as we follow Jesus, it's like he has this thing where he wants us to follow him, not because he wants you to not have any fun in life, not because he wants to be a killjoy, but because he actually has your best interest in mind. And he says, if you would just follow me, everything would go better in your life, and you would actually live a more fulfilled and rewarding life, and you would fulfill what you were put on earth to do. And so Jesus takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, puts us in the kingdom of his son, and he says, follow me. He basically says, heal. Follow me. Walk with me. And we walk, and all of a sudden we see a leaf blow across the sidewalk, and our attention is drawn by that thing, and we take off after it. And Jesus says, no, come back here. Come back. And we keep walking. He says, that's awesome. What a good job you did. I'm so proud of you. And then we go after something else, and he says, hey, come back. And we go after something, come back. And every time he does it out of his love for us. And pretty soon we start to realize that the things that used to draw my attention and the things that used to draw me away no longer have the grip on me that they once did because I find myself looking up at him and my will is to do what he desires for me. And the most pleasing thing in my life is to live the life that he's called me to live. So what if this third kind of dimension of this truth is I wake up in the morning with a realization that I'm about to head out into a world that is set up and is purposely trying to draw me away from the life that he's called me to live. And I need him in order to walk the way he's called me to walk. Not only do I want to, it's actually expected of me. Turn to, turn to 1 John. First John chapter 2, verse 3. This is John as an older man writing to the church. He says this, By this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth's not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. See, we can read that verse and that can become a way of proving that I know him if we're not careful. It's like, okay, well, Jesus said that if I love him, I would do the things that he commanded me. So if I want to prove that I love him, I have to go out and do the things that he commanded me to do. And we make this checklist. And now all of a sudden we're in legalism because we're trying to work our way into proving something rather than allowing what we do to be the proof of who we really are. John's teaching this because Jesus said um, in in, um, John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So John hears him say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that actually impresses him so much that later he's writing a letter to the church and he says, this is how we know that we've come to love him if we keep his commandments. Why? Because he gets it. He starts to look at his life following Jesus and he says, you know what? The more I've loved him, the more I've actually lived the way he's called me to live. The more I love him, the more I want to live the way that he's called me to live. It's not a thing of I'm trying to work my way into proving that I love him. It's a thing there. He looks back at his life and he says, I've actually abided in him. I didn't really understand what he said when he was teaching us. And he said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. I didn't get it at that time, but now I do. And now I'm going to teach you the things that he taught me because I've understood them, not because I have a head knowledge of them, but because they've actually changed my life. This is the way it was supposed to be. Really simply, this is what it is to follow Jesus, is to know him, to be taught by him, and then to go out and make disciples, teaching them everything that he's taught you. This is what he told the disciples. He said, go out into the world and make disciples, teaching them to to obey all the things I've commanded you. What did he command us? He said, love God and love others. And so John's now writing this, not from a place of head knowledge and just regurgitating. He's actually looking at his life and he's saying, this is how we know that we abide in him. I get it now. We actually follow his commands. So what if abiding in him looks like this? What if you wake up in the morning and you say, God, I, I read in your word where you say to love your enemies. And I know that you say to pray for those who spitefully use you. And if I'm being honest, that's not always what my heart wants. But it is what my heart wants to want. See, it's having the honesty and the integrity to allow the word of God to speak to us and to be honest with ourselves before him. It's not about reading something so I know what to say if someone asks me a question. What good does that do me when I find myself in a position where my response is anything but Jesus. What does it matter if I can tell you, yeah, God said to love those who spitefully use you. If when someone spitefully uses me, my response is anything but love. It's not reading this word to have an answer to people. It's reading this word so that I see what the answer of my life should look like. So that when I see there's an area of my life that doesn't line up with the word, I can have the integrity and the honesty to get before him and tell him, God, you know, the truth of the matter is, is sometimes that happens, but, but my heart isn't there. I want it to be there. I want, to, I want the response of my life to be to love those who hate me. And I don't want to have to go and get alone and, and, and remember what I read in the Bible in order to respond to people. I actually want you to change my heart so that when that happens, what comes from me has already been changed. God, I don't want to have to come and try to find you in that moment. I want to find you now so that when that moment finds me, I respond out of love. 
That's what the Christian life is. It's having the honesty to get before him. This is how you come before his throne room in your time of need and receive mercy and receive grace. Think about this. It's grace that empowers you. Have you ever noticed that the standard of grace is so much higher than the standard of the law? Why? Because only one of them comes with the actual power to live it out. So Jesus has no problem telling you to love people that hate you because he knows that the power of grace to change your heart can make you a person that would love people that hate you. But you won't get there by saying it with your mouth and not living it with your life and being content to be a hypocrite. And this is the thing that God's been so on me about is this, is that if we would actually be honest with ourselves and get before him and not care about what our answer to people is, Because what good does it do you if you can quote everything right, but your heart isn't changed? Come on, I'm serious. Like, let this word be something that actually breaks us to a place where we get before him and we recognize our need for him, not because we see where we failed, but because we know that our heart truly doesn't want to do that all the time. So this is what he wants to change is not just your actions, He wants to change your heart, your motive, your reason for living so that your actions will follow. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you you guys clean the outside of the cup. This is what he was talking about. He said, you guys clean the outside of the cup and you make sure that everything that people see looks good. But the inside, the heart, the motive hasn't actually changed. Inside, you're dead. Outside, everything looks good. But inside, you're dead. What does he come to do? He comes to bring life and life more abundantly. He wants to make you alive on the inside so that, yes, your actions on the outside look good, but it comes from a place of your heart actually being changed so that you're becoming like him. So what if as we mature, our time of need looks less like when we're running to him because of temptation? Why? Because we've learned to look at the master and the little things that used to bound by on the sidewalk are no longer the things that consume our attention all day, every day. You know, there's a place that you can live where the things that used to once draw you don't even have any place in any voice in your life anymore because it's actually become a place of strength. Because you've so fought and, and won against that by the power of grace that that thing actually that was a weakness is now an area of strength. You know what that looks like in my life? It looks like this. It looks like I used to be addicted to drugs. I used to use multiple different types of drugs all day, every single day. Every day, all day long. It wasn't like, like, like smoking weed was not even like a drug. That was what you did in the morning just to start the morning. Is what you did at night to, before you went to sleep. It was what you did all day long like cigarettes. I'm talking about mixing anything you could get your hands on. From Coke to Special K to ecstasy, it didn't matter. It's just, you just wanted to get high and higher and higher and higher. And that's how we lived our lives. And we lived our lives where we took advantage of everybody we met to get the thing that we wanted. That was the motivation of my life. And it wasn't a question. If there was a drug in front of me doing it, it wasn't even like a thought. Like there was no question of whether I was going to use what was in front of me. It was just what was in front of me. That was the only thing that was in question. That was my life. And then I got delivered from that place and I started to see why he created me. And I saw what those things were doing to my life. And I saw the road that it was taking me down. I saw the destruction that it caused. I saw how beautiful it was to wake up in the morning and not want to be high because life was so much better with a clean conscience and eyes on Jesus than it ever was high that I don't want to miss a moment of this by giving myself to that. And all of a sudden now, I could get, this is what freedom looks like. This is what true freedom looks like is that when I got wisdom teeth pulled, they gave me a prescription. And they gave me Percocet because Loratab makes me nauseous. 
And I would take that Percocet and I would take a knife and I would cut it into four little chunks and I would put them back into the bottle. And if the pain got bad, I would take one of those little tiny pieces and take it because I didn't want to be high. I just didn't want to be in pain. So what was once an area of weakness is now an area of strength where the devil has no voice in because of the victory that I walked in because of the blood of Jesus and because him actually coming and changing my heart by showing me the truth of how I was living. That's what victory looks like. So what if our time of need is this, is actually taking inventory. I just I'll close with this. We're almost out of time. But what, what if it, was, it looked like this? It was actually taking inventory of my life and saying, God, um, you know that. And, and just be honest. Whatever it is. God, you know that I don't respond well to people that I perceive to be being disrespectful to me. And you know that if I feel disrespected, I respond in a way that is so not your heart, God. And I don't want to be that way. God, I want you to come and change my heart. God, show me how to see so that when I see people, I see beyond what they're doing to me and I see what's been done to them. And I come to this place of actually seeing them as being hurt, lost, insecure, and in need of a Savior. So my response is never to what's manifesting on the outside. My response is to what's causing that on the inside. God, change my heart so that when I see people respond this way, I understand what's really going on and I speak truth to their heart where they are, not in response to what they've said or done. God, I'm about to walk out into the world this morning and I need you because there is every chance that somebody is going to respond to me out of a place of brokenness. And the last thing I want to do is respond to brokenness with brokenness of my own. God, would you come and make me whole? Father, would you show me how loved I am? God, thank you. And also now you start moving into faith, right? God, I thank you that you called me your child. God, that you called me out of darkness and into the kingdom of your son. I thank you that you put me on this earth for a reason. It's to love people. It's to be loved and love you, God, and it's to love people. And I thank you that I'm no longer here for me. I'm not alive for me anymore. I've already won. I'm not going out in the world to win. I'm going out in the world to love. It's something that God's been dealing with me on is even when I'm like walking in the mall. Seriously, it's, it, it's even little things. And, and I have the right to walk somewhere and somebody comes. Do I take the right that I have to walk somewhere? Or do I stop, say, excuse me, even though it wasn't my fault and allow them to go? Do I actually consider others more important than myself? Because the Bible calls me to that. It says, consider others more important than yourselves. See, read this word and let it, let it come and challenge and show you areas of your life where you need to grow. And then have the honesty and the integrity to get before him and actually say to him, God, this isn't where I am, but this is where I want to be. Father, I thank you that you've placed me here. And my want isn't lining up with what you say is true. Would you help my, my want to change? God, would you change my heart? And would you keep me in that place? God, would you let grace come and actually empower me to walk the life that you've called me to walk? And now it's not running to him. See, because here's what happens. is The first, the first time was, was when somebody did something, you responded, bah! you know, and everything but love comes out of you. And Thank you for Hebrews. God, I can come to you in my time of need and I can draw boldly before your throne and receive grace. God, I thank you that you don't hold that sin against me. God, I thank you that that's wiped as far from me as the east is from the west and the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. 
That's, that's kind of step one, right? That, that, that you're not hiding from him, you know, and you're not feeling ashamed, and you actually know that you can go to him and receive grace. But, but step two is, is someone does something, and it's like, oh, God, before I respond, Lord, I want to respond like you. God, I want to respond like you. Don't let me respond the way that I normally would respond. God, put a guard on my mouth and shut it. Don't let me say anything that's not you, Father. Even if that means saying nothing at all, God, just help me to not respond the way I was. That's kind of step two is that grace comes and it keeps us from actually doing what we used to do before. But then what if, what if there's a greater truth now that says I can get before him in the morning and say, Father, I need you today. Help me to walk according to your spirit and not according to my flesh. If anything rises up in me that I can't find in the life of Jesus, help me to cast it aside. I take off the old. I put on Christ. God, I'm going to walk out into the world covered in Jesus. Help me to respond in every situation the way you responded to me when I was a sinner, when I was one who needed grace. God, let the grace that you've given me be the grace that I give others. Help me to steward this grace, God. Help me to steward this grace well, Father. And all of a sudden now you're walking out into the world. Your reason's changed. You're not out there to get what you can get. You're out there to see who you can give to. And you see everybody that would respond that way to you, that would treat you that way as someone who needs grace rather than someone who needs your revenge. And now your response has changed. Why? Because before you actually found yourself in that situation, you went and found his heart. And the grace came for you to walk the way he's called you to walk. That's his desire. It won't happen automatically. I wish it did. I wish there was like one magic prayer that you could pray. Everything was changed and you walked like Jesus the rest of your life, but it won't happen. It's allowing the word of God to actually come and convict us of the way that we're called to live. That's how you're convicted of righteousness. The word of God shows you who you've been called to be, and then you see anything that's not there, and you realize that's not who you are, and it's not who you're called to be, and so you walk over to him. Father, I thank you that this is how you call me to walk. God, I thank you that if you said to love my enemies, that means there's a place in you that I can come to where I love even the people that mistreat me. Father, would you change my heart so that my response would be love in every situation? God, I thank you that you called me to desire only my wife. You said that I should have eyes only for her. And so, Father, if you've called me not to look at another woman with lust in my heart, then that means there's a place in you that I can live where I don't look at another woman with lust in my heart. God, I thank you that you changed the desire of my heart and what I put my eyes on, Father, because you've called me to this. And if you've called me to it, then that means there's a grace available that empowers me to walk that way. Father, I thank you that you said don't lie to one another. So God, if you've called me to walk only in truth, I thank you, God, that you change the way that I speak so that what comes from my mouth is truthful because what's in my heart is truthful. God, because I know you would never call me to something that your grace doesn't empower me to. And all of a sudden, you walk out into the world and you're living from that place rather than trying to find that place in the moment. Grace comes and you actually can live that way. You want to know those prayers that he honors? Is when you ask him to help you to live the way he called you to live. He'll honor that prayer every single time. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we can boldly come before your throne in our time of need. God, I pray that we would begin to see that our time of need, Father, is every single day. That it's not just for the big things that you call us to, God, one day, but it's that every day you've called us to go and live the life that Jesus modeled. Father, I thank you that every single command you've given us, God, is something that the love that we have for you and the love you have for us empowers us to walk in. God, that Jesus saying, he who loves me will obey my commandments isn't a way for us to prove love. It's not a to-do list to say, see, I love you, I did this. But it's actually a way to evaluate and look back and say, I do love him. Because I find that the more I love him, 
the more my life looks like the life he called me to live. And oh yeah, I obeyed this command and I obeyed that command. I obeyed that command. I responded in love here. I responded with truth there. I didn't go down that path when the temptation came. Not because I had a checklist, but because I was walking in love. God, I thank you for that. I just want to ask you right now, if there's, like as I've been speaking this morning, if there's anything that you know, that, and I'm not talking about, you know, there, there's a difference in, in um, John says those who practice sin. There's a difference in, in the occasional stumble and some response comes that shouldn't be there or something like that. I'm talking about a sin that, that, that you know has just kind of hung around and lingered and you know that God has called you to live differently. And while I've been speaking this morning, because probably while I've been speaking this morning, if that's something like that is in your life, you've thought of it while I'm speaking. Whatever that is, there's grace that can empower you to live above that place. There's grace that can empower you to live free from that place. He has no desire for you to continue to stumble and constantly be picked up. He'll do it. If you force him to that place where you only know him as Savior, he'll be Savior, but he really wants to be Lord. And he really wants to keep you from stumbling. So right now, if you're thinking of that thing, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and just stand up where you are. And it's not even that we're going to pray. You know, there's not a place that says prayer makes you free in the Bible. There is a place that says truth makes you free. So would you do that if, if there is something that you feel like God, I just, I need to be empowered. I want that area that was a weakness to become an area of strength. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Is there anybody else who would say, man, there's, there's an area of weakness in my life and I, will, I just need grace to come and I need it to wrap me and be that area of weakness I want to become an area of strength. Did you just stand up? Yeah, because here's the truth that I want to give you. We'll pray, but, but really what you need is truth. That thing that you've been giving yourself to, whether it's anger, whether it's jealousy, whether it's hatred, whether it's a, a, a drug or a chemical that you abuse, that you lean on, whether it's lust, pornography, doesn't matter what it is. There's grace that can not only forgive you, there's grace that can empower you to live above that to where that thing that used to draw you away every time it flashed across the sidewalk becomes something you don't even notice because your eyes are fixed on the master and your will is to do the will of him who sent you. So here's what you do. This is how you respond to this thing. Rather than running to him boldly for forgiveness and calling that grace, Every single time that thing raises its voice and tries to draw you away the way it has so many times before, every single time that first thought comes, you see it for what it is, and you allow that to be something that pushes you into communion with the Father. Because here's the thing, the fact you're standing right now means your heart has changed. Why? Because there was a time you probably lived that way and didn't even think about it. You didn't think it was wrong, never mind, want to make it right. So the fact that you're standing right now means that your heart's been changed. You see where he's called you to live. You see where you've been giving yourself to, and you see that they're not the same. Here's the good news. Grace comes and touches that through faith. So here's what you do the first time that that thing raises its voice. You let that be something that draws you into communion with the Father. 
You look at him. You look forward at the throne of grace, not at the thing that's trying to draw your eye or your attention or your time, whatever it is. You look right into the throne of grace and you come to him and you say, Father, I so thank you that your grace has changed me. God, there was a time where I would have that thought and the next thing you know, I would be acting on it, but you've changed me, Father. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm asking God that you would just give me the grace that I need in this moment to keep me from following the voice of a stranger and actually continue to walk down this path. God, I so thank you that you've changed my heart. You've changed my life. God, I thank you that the power that you, that that your son uh, had by the spirit of God lives inside of me. Father, I'm just asking for grace to come right now. Here's what it'll do. One, it will literally take your attention off that thing. Two, it'll put your attention on him. Three, it'll allow him access in to come and for grace to flow and touch that area of your life. So rather than being condemned and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm thinking this again. No, let that push you into a new way of thinking. God, thank you that I see it for what it is, that you've changed my heart, that I'm not the person that I was. I thank you that I'm a new creation, that I can't give myself to that the way that I used to because you bought and purchased my life. My life doesn't even belong to me. And so, God, I just ask that you would give me the grace that I need in this moment to not only resist, but to actually follow. God, I thank you that once was, uh, what once was an area of weakness is becoming an area of great strength. That when you come and bind me up, God, that it's better than it was before. In Jesus' name. That's what you, listen to me. If you do that every single time, every single time, you'll win. And what you'll find is that the more you do it, the less you have to do it. Because if every time he pokes you, it turns you into intimacy with God, pretty soon he'll stop poking. Because he has no desire for you to commune with the Father. He wants to do everything he can to keep you away from him. What you, what, before when he poked you, it brought you to the place that he wanted you to be. That's why he keeps poking. Let him poke you four, five, six, seven, ten, fifteen times in a week and let every time he pokes you, you find intimacy with the Father and watch what happens. I promise you that thing will lose its grip and one day you'll look back and you'll say like John, hey, this is how I know I abide in him. I've been following his commands. Not because you had to. Not because that was the effort of your life. But because yielding yourself to him and grace changing you actually made you walk in a way that was manner of his calling. Worthy of the manner of his calling. So God, I thank you for every person standing and every person that should have stood. God, that you would give them the strength and the desire to turn to you in every situation. God, I thank you that even beyond that, that they find themselves waking up in the morning before that thing even speaks and setting their heart on you and deciding and making their decision before the time comes so that when the the opportunity arises, they simply walk out the decision that they've already made. They're not trying to find you in that moment, God. They found you, and now they're walking in what they found. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.